Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. This is the place where technology meets entertainment. Last week's guest, if you remember, was Frank Scanlon. He's the CEO of the Gustus Vitae range of gourmet salts. And to our surprise, a full range of 30 or so samples arrived at our place a couple of days after the interview. No wonder his range is quickly picked up by Whole Foods and Gustus Vitae is now available around the world. We have been using it almost every meal. It is fantastic. So if you go out to Whole Foods or wherever, you want to get yourself from Gustus Vitae salts. Uh, they're all different flavours. We've got a whole truckload of them. So thank you, Frank. Lovely guest gesture. A great product. And we're really enjoying it. As ardent supporters of climate change initiatives, we love the fact that renewable energy is increasingly Google's lowest cop shop, cop, cop, cost option. <laughs> and Google's data centres and the offices for its 60,000 staff will be powered entirely by renewable energy from next year. Google's already the world's biggest corporate buyer of renewable energy, last year buying 44% of its power from wind and solar farms. Next year, this will increase to 100%. Google's convinced this is good for business and they're locking in prices for the long term. They're convinced that climate change is real and an immediate threat, so they're doing their part. What is it that Washington doesn't seem to get? Technology companies have come under increasing scrutiny over the carbon footprint of their operation, which have, you know, because those companies have grown so fast, they now account for about 2% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. They're rivaling that of the aviation industry. And it's taken Google just five years to reach the 100% renewables target that they set in 2012. The company's biggest demand for uh, energy is its data centres, and the demand's growing despite experiments to improve their efficiency through artificial intelligence. In 2015, Google bought renewable electricity, almost equivalent to the power generated by all of the UK solar panels. The majority of the power comes from wind farms in the US. Now, the falling price of solar and of wind meant that they've been the cheapest technologies to get to 100% by 2017. But Google's looking at all forms of low-cost carbon, low-carbon generation. The company's 100% renewable energy. It doesn't mean that Google's getting all its energy directly from wind and power, solar power. But then on an annual basis, the amount of purchases from renewable sources matches the electricity that its operations consume. Certainly, by transitioning global operations to run entirely on renewable energy, Google's charting a course for other corporations, for institutions, for cities, and also for communities to take bold action 
that will create jobs, save money and protect families from dangerous fossil fuel pollution. Now, all of those old farts in Washington and one in New York need to sit up and take notice. Only in America, only in this country do we accept weather predictions for Punxsutawney Phil but deny climate change by scientists. For those of you outside the, the country, Punxsutawney Phil is a groundhog that pops out and millions of people watch to see what he forecasts the weather's going to be like. So we sit there and watch that nationally on television, but 99% of all scientists in the world say climate change is real, but the politicians say can't be true. Jesus. Analysts at Global Investment Manager Bernstein believe that the age of industrialisation is rapidly coming to an end. I believe that robots are set to destroy manufacturing jobs globally. They say that China's insane spending on robotics is fundamentally changing capitalism. Now, we know that manufacturing jobs have been the majority of all jobs in the West for decades, but Bernstein's arguing that the nature of capitalism is undergoing a fundamental change, and this is all due to the rise of robotics and China's modernising economy. Automation is making manufacturing jobs cheaper and less labour intensive. Manufacturing jobs are disappearing globally, replaced by, you guessed it, robots. China's leading the way, but the trend is global, and it means that promises made by politicians to bring back manufacturing to this country and to encourage manufacturing to grow the manufacturing base in America are unlikely to benefit working people generally because the jobs do not exist anymore. So if any individual, a company or a country has an advantage in producing something, then that individual company or country should specialise in producing that one thing and trade for everything else. You know, these forces of specialisation combined with differing average wages globally has led to the industrialisation of Asia over the last 50 years as the production of more and more goods was outsourced to cheaper manufacturing bases. Low-cost manufacturing's bounced around the world for decades to take advantage of this deep pool of low-cost labour. This bouncing around helped drive economic development in emerging markets as different countries became specialists in producing everything from radios to T-shirts. But China's taking a different approach when it comes to how to deal with the mismatch between high-cost employees and low-cost manufacturing. Specifically, China's not getting rid of the work. It's just getting rid of the workers. China's spending $3.5 billion annually on robotics. North America is spending less than $2 billion. This investment is translating into fewer manufacturing jobs. You know, Foxconn, which is the world's 10th largest employer, 
has already replaced 60,000 workers with robots. That's just one company, Foxconn, replaced 60,000 workers with robots. So the more complex manufacturing tasks are being automated and workers are moving into the services sector. Manufacturing jobs are all being taken by China's burgeoning army of factory robots. So roles that would have been shipped overseas to cheaper markets, they're being done domestically by robots. This means other companies that could have expected to add jobs that service the Chinese manufacturing sector will now never see these jobs because they're being done by robots inside China. Now, President-elect Donald Trump has promised to onshore many industries and bring back well-paid manufacturing jobs. But the reality is, and he'll find out shortly, the, economy, the economics simply are not there. These jobs simply do not exist anymore. So if a company's forced to start manufacturing in the US rather than in a country where the wage and other costs are cheaper, the company will look to cut costs to make it economically viable. So what's the easiest way for a company to cut costs? Invest in robots and eliminate the need to pay wages. Automation is the easiest way to cut costs dramatically. You know, the reality is that US factory productions doubled since 1979. US, listen to that, US factory productions doubled since 1979, but more than 7 million factory jobs have been lost. So, you know... It, it's all going to come to a head because the city and Oxford study predicts that inequality between the 1% and the 99% will widen as workforce automation continues. It's obvious to me that the only things dumber than politicians, and you have to be pretty fucking dumb, are voters. Voters are definitely dumber than politicians. I think we just proved that, didn't we, quite conclusively. Now, research shows that Netflix's selection of IMDb's 200 highest-rated movies have gone down in the past two years by a very substantial amount, as has its total catalogue of movies. They're being replaced by those terrible straight-to-video movies that are, that are made relatively cheaply and sent out straight-to-video. The reason they sent straight-to-video is because they can't put a bum on a seat in a theatre. So the reasons behind what makes its way to Netflix and how long they stay there are pretty complicated. Netflix success is dependent upon its ability to keep its subscription costs from increasing. So how's that working out? I must admit, they haven't gone up very much, but they're going up. So it's got to be very careful how much it will pay to acquire new titles that everyone may have seen or have ready access to. Add to this the fact that the studios try to keep most movies off Netflix 
and that is why it takes a long while for the big blockbusters and Oscar winners to make it to Netflix. The studios keep them in theatres for months, then release DVDs and Blu-ray, and then sell digital downloads via iTunes and Amazon. Next comes streaming rights to the likes of Netflix, often at prohibitive prices. So Netflix is also focused on picking up exclusive licensing rights. Variety says that it's intentionally ended fairly pricey partnerships with distributors like Epics and Stars in order to spend more money on exclusive and original content. Netflix doesn't even own some of its own most popular shows, including, say, Orange is the New Black and House of Cards. It pays a licensing fee to the studios that make them for exclusive streaming rights, which, of course, are temporary. Netflix release schedule seems erratic and haphazard, with new shows and movies added every few days throughout a given month, but this is dictated by the negotiating terms and the conditions driven by the studios. Netflix doesn't want to waste money on content no one watches, so it opts for titles that deliver the biggest viewership relative to the licensing costs. And Netflix uses data about members' viewing behaviour to predict demand, and then they seek out the lowest and the most efficient content cost. Now, does that mean crap for the lowest common? Does that mean crap movies for the lowest common denominator viewer? It looks like it might. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We're getting a heap of subscribers every day. It's great, so thank you very much for that. We get the occasional unsubscribe, but I think it's running at about 70 additional subscribers for every one loss. And I think that's because it's interesting and it's varied, and uh, you can read it in 30 seconds. We now have about 81,000 daily subscribers. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that is important. My guest today is Janine Darling. She's lovely, for one, and she's the founder of CEO and Stash Data-Centric Security for two. Now, Stash Data-Centric Security is a technology company focused exclusively on data security, and as we all know, that is the fastest growing crime in the world. I think you'll love this interview. I really enjoyed doing it. It's got extremely valuable information. So sit back, relax, get yourself a cup of coffee, maybe something to nibble on, and I'll be back with Janine immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. 
Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do, and we've tried to find out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need to receive, get all the advice we can and get assistance from entrepreneurs and mentors and and people who have achieved success. So the aim of this segment is to provide you with a wide variety of information on various subjects to assist you to make better choices and become more successful. My guest today is an extremely accomplished lady, Janine Darling, who has held many prominent leadership positions for major companies and has been recognised with a slew, that's a lot, of awards. She's driven the expansion and profitability of brands including Victoria's Secret, Barnes & Noble, Everlast, Chanel, Nestle, Sony, Starbucks, goes on and on. Her expertise in devising innovative business strategy and leveraging well-considered risk to optimise outcome is well documented. She's currently the founder and CEO of Stash Data-Centric Security. as a technology company focused exclusively on data security. And as you probably know, and you've been following the news for the last few years, it's the fastest growing crime in the world. This is an extraordinary number. In 2014, over 1 billion records were stolen. Cyber theft costs the world economy half a trillion dollars and 500,000 jobs a year. And almost 30,000 companies get hacked every single day. So, geez, hackers out there are really busy, obviously. To date, there's been 185 million documented intrusions that have bypassed perimeter security tools and virus detectors. So, when companies can't protect their data, apart from receiving potentially huge fines, there are more important considerations like lost credibility, lost trust, and lost customers. Customers are terrified about having their data hacked, and I don't blame them. Technology spending for security and for storage is expected at $1 trillion from 2017 through 2021, half of which will be specific to data security. At $1 trillion, we hear that number thrown around a lot, but it's $1,000 million. $1,000 million, million dollars, actually. Stash America 
is a technology company providing proprietary data-centric security solutions for business and consumer applications. It solves the top three concerns of businesses and consumers everywhere regarding data storage. Firstly, losing their data. Secondly, others gaining access to their data. And thirdly, being unable to get your data. And Stash, like 99.9, unlike 99.9% of other security offerings, is highly adaptable and protects every variable of digital data at rest. Good morning, Janine. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm quite well, thank you. And yourself? I am terrific. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles waiting for a storm to hit, which is a very unusual occurrence for us. I know it is, but it must be a welcome one with all that dryness going on out there. Yeah, I went for a bit of a drive yesterday and it's so dry. Everything is just tinder dry and I'm waiting for some idiot with a match. Um, well, I hope it's a beautiful storm. I hope it is too. Um, so what are some of the biggest misconceptions that businesses have about cybersecurity? You know, the two that come to mind that are most prevalent is, and they're, they're completely diametrically opposed, there are many, many businesses who refuse to believe that they are vulnerable to being hacked. And that may be surprising, but some of that comes from looking at the cybersecurity landscape and being so confused by so many of the offerings out there and all the companies that are saying that they can solve this problem, that there's a collective sticking of heads in the sand for yeah. some businesses. The businesses that do realize that they need to do something are so unsure of which direction to go that their fallback is, well, I'm backing up my data, so I should be fine. So the thing about backup is all businesses should be backing up their data. There's no doubt about that. Sure. The trouble with that is is that that is perfect for when you need to recover very quickly because there has been an internal issue or there is data that is going missing somehow. But for data that is really valuable, that can tank a company if it's stolen, you really need to resort to long-term data storage, and that is an archiving solution that is completely different in terms of what it does. It's a lockup rather than a backup of valuable data. Right. So when somebody um, hacks into a business and their information stolen, does that information actually disappear or just means the two people have got it? So here's what happens with most information when it's stolen. First of all, what many hackers will do is they will infiltrate a company's network and live there like a host right. for, you know, days and days and days and months. And most hacks are not discovered for at least 200 days. Wow. By the time they're discovered, by the time they're patched, by the time there is remediation, you're looking at four to six months before anything is even reasonably secure again. So within that period of time, within about 30 to 60 days, depending upon how ambitious the hackers are, that data will already be on the black market and have been sold to the people who value it the most. The, 
when, if somebody breaks into your home, an alarm goes off immediately and says, hey, somebody's in the house. Why is it that it takes so long to discover a hack? Isn't, aren't, there, aren't there some sort of mechanisms that set off alarm bells so that the second somebody sort of walks into your vault door that the alarm bells go off? There are many, 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 many companies out there that are providing tools to help with this cybersecurity problem. And to your point, some of them provide alarm services, i.e., they are constantly scanning networks to discover anomalies. They are looking at the way data is flowing in and out of a company. They're looking at the way the employees' permissions are being used to see if somebody other than the employees who have permission are utilizing the system. All these things are absolutely necessary. However, hackers, the ones that are cyber criminals and are experts, there are thousands of them. There are millions of hackers that are novices. Right. And the kind of systems I'm talking about, the kinds of tools, will definitely, definitely keep out novice hackers because they reveal themselves quite handily when they're knocking on the door and trying to get in. However, expert hackers, this is something that I think most people will be surprised at and don't know. You don't even need to be connected to the Internet to have an expert hacker get into your system. They are stealthy. They know how to disguise themselves in ways that are undetectable. And you only need one. You only need one. And you're compromised and your important data is is out there. And, you know, to your point, you know, you know so much about it already from your introduction. Um, this is, the breach itself is bad enough, but the hits that a company takes is yeah. regarding their brand equity. For instance, when a company is hacked, 37% of customers approximately leave the business right away. They're not going to do business with you anymore. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, 57% are upset, will continue to do business with you, but they're looking for an out. So it is a long-term net loss all the way around. And fines are coming down the pike now. There's legislation that will both fine a company either $20 million or 4% of their gross revenue, whichever is larger, and also make the board of directors and CEO responsible. And if criminal charges are brought, seriously, people are going to be going to jail. So it's getting very serious out there. If, and this is an if, I, I accept that, but if the Russians can hack into our electoral, electoral system and if they can hack into the Department of Justice, what hopes a, a company got that's of reasonable size? Let's say it's a, you know, it's not it's not an Exxon, but it's a it's a good size hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar company. What hope have they got? So here's what's happening out there now. So hacks have cyber uh, uh, criminals have been hacking into companies for literally for decades. Yep. And the reason why it has become a collective focus is because little by little by little, like any cottage industry, 
these hacks have grown because they're it's quite lucrative, right? right? Right. You can stay you can stay invisible. You can steal a lot of very valuable data. You can become quite wealthy if you're very good at it, and it can go on and on forever. So there's nobody that is intentionally leaving their company or their organizations or the governments intentionally leaving themselves vulnerable. They are using the tools that have been available out there until now. If you are in the cybersecurity community, what you know for sure is that hacks are no longer an if. They are a when for everybody. Right. And so what the experts are writing about now is that the solution to what is happening is that you're going to be hacked. So what are you trying to protect? The lowest common denominator is the data itself. That is what a data-centric security solution is about. Well, all the other tools out there, if you think of an egg, yep. all the other tools out there are like the shell of the egg. They are strong, right. but they're, break- they're breakable. There are holes in these systems, and you need them because you want to keep the riffraff out. Right. The piece of the puzzle that is missing is the solution that will protect that vulnerable yoke itself. And that is what data-centric security does. It protects the data bytes. And there are a variety of data-centric methods that protect data. The best ones take the data, they encrypt them, they break them into digital confetti, and they store them in a variety of places in multiples so that you can't lose them. If a hacker does get some of these pieces, they have pieces of data, but they don't know what it says. It's gobbledygook. They They can't put it all together. Hmm. Exactly. They can't. They don't know how many pieces make a whole, and they don't know who the data belongs to. So your, your, your important data should be stored in a different way than your everyday data. That backup data, you can restore your system easily and get going again. Sure. That stuff that will tank your company, you, should, you need to segment it out. And what is being recommended is that you put it in a data-centric solution. What does... I, I have no idea. I, I was sort of thinking about it during the night. I have no idea what a hacking organization looks like. So is a hacking organization, like, got an office and there's a and they're have a meeting every Monday morning and decide who they're going to hack and there's hundreds of these nerds sitting around computers hacking? Is it like that or is it much more sort of, I don't know, diverse and there's all these individuals? How organised is it? That's an interesting question and it's it's one actually that I, I get quite often. Um, it is everything that you said. And so an organisation of hackers can be and do, many of them run, just like a company runs. They don't necessarily have an office. In fact, they probably don't. But they have a way of communicating with one another on a regular basis to plan various crimes, to interact with each other, to delegate responsibilities, etc., etc. Most hacks are done with fewer people. So you've got a lot of singular hackers out there who, in addition to, the the landscape has changed so much over the last decade. 
What used to happen was hackers wanted to get in and steal valuable data and then get paid for it. Sure. Now you now you have hacktivists, or you have people who are angry at how a company or an organization or government is conducting their business and goes in specifically to manipulate or destroy data. They don't even care about getting a payout. They're angry and they want to make a mark. So you've got people who individually are doing this kind of thing. You've got small groups of people that are um, performing these exercises either together on a very organic basis and you have what you described earlier, you do have organizations that run just like companies run. Pretty scary, isn't it? So what are the most, some of the most costly mistakes that companies are making when it comes to securing their most valuable data? They get, they get a security system and they sit back and hope that that um, protects the eggshell. Well, it's really interesting because about a year ago um, when we were approaching, we began to approach industries that were particularly vulnerable to data theft. And, and those industries are, you know, the ones that you can imagine. They are, they are the government. They are of health and energy and, and media and accounting and law firms, all those kinds of companies. Yep. There had been a, a very big wave of lots of companies jumping on the cybersecurity bandwagon because it is, it is a quite lucrative segment. You know, everybody is wringing their hands and trying to figure out how to solve this problem. Lots of companies out there, lots of companies doing similar things and kind of competing with each other for these dollars. And about a year ago, a lot of the companies that we were approaching said, oh, we just purchased all of these tools. We feel confident. We feel secure. We don't think that we need anything else. A year later, many of those companies have begun to contact Stash because they have been hacked or aberrant behavior has been discovered and they realize that they really do need the last piece to the puzzle. You need lots of tools. Your security should be broad and deep. Right. That is a very costly mistake if you're thinking you're buying a system and that is it is protecting your perimeter and that you're safe. That is that is the costliest mistake the companies make. The next really costly mistake is something that you'll you're going to be hearing more and more about in the coming weeks and months. It's called cyber hygiene. And what that means is you need to really have a very, very formal program for your employees to learn about what is safe and what isn't safe to be doing on their computers. And with all the bring your device to work initiatives and people working remotely, by this may this is another shocking, shocking statistic. By twenty twenty, there will be fifty billion plus devices connected to one another. And yeah. each one of those endpoints is a way for hackers to get in. And I'm not just talking about computers. Yeah, I was think. I was yeah, just I was just about to, to ask you about the Internet of Things and and you know it's 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 smaller stuff I guess, but um, you can hackers can hack you through your refrigerator or your toaster <laughs> and the cost of securing those things is too high to just you know can't be justified within the um, 
the retail price of the, of the item. So how do you how do you protect against that? Well, again, it is it is all about protecting the data. And if companies make a decision to actually add this this one last piece of technology to their security systems, even if their employees make mistakes, this is as safe as it possibly gets. The data itself that's important is off someplace else, whether it's in the cloud, it can also be in the company on dedicated servers, but not connected to the network. Even if employees do make mistakes, the data is protected. The number of endpoints, the, the number of companies that are trying to address these challenges from outside, from the endpoint direction, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of them. There are almost no companies until now that have been addressing the data itself. Uh, we are one, there are another couple coming down the pike, and this is going to become the absolute in the cybersecurity world for data security. So I guess we've, over the past years, there's been solutions that have been sort of the ultimate solution and there always seems to be one more step. Is there another step beyond where Stash is or, or are you guys at the, at the um, end wall? You know, um, technology is a wonderful thing, and Sometimes. the real, <laughs> you know, I think, I, I like to think of it, I like to, I like to be cautiously optimistic. I think that the benefit of all of us being connected from a human standpoint, because I think we need, all need to remember that what companies and organizations and governments and firms are, they're, they're people. Sure. They are people, and we can't forget that point. And so the the benefits of technology, I believe, still to this day outweigh the obstacles and the challenges of technology. That's an interesting discussion. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I know. I'm sure we could talk for hours on that. We'll have to, we'll have to do that another time. Um, the thing about um, what is coming is. You always have to be looking for what's best. And I know that what we do at Stash is um, I've got wonderful, wonderful, um, some of the best technologists in the world who have built and maintain and continue to iterate our data-centric security solution. And some of the things we're working on now, because there's always, there's always another place to go, because there's not new technology per se. Technology that is new, quote unquote, is always something that somebody in a room with a whiteboard or a garage, like yeah. Steve Jobs used to do, puts the technology together in a different way and comes up with a better mousetrap. That's what new technology is. So here, here, here are some of the things coming down the pike. Again, with, in order to, to secure the outcome of genuine security, what's coming down the pike is using artificial intelligence to teach data how to protect itself. Another thing that is coming is an environment. Lots of companies are offering something called network security, where the shell is around the network. Okay. Again, because the shell is porous, your network really and truly 
is not secure. It is pretty secure, but you need that last that last piece. Sure. There is there is a way to actually work on documents on the day-to-day, and that's called data in motion. When you're working on a document, it's data in motion. When it's stored away someplace, that's data at rest. A data in motion solution that provides an opportunity to work on your day-to-day documents, but they're still encrypted and they cannot be stolen, that is coming down the pike as well. It is quite complicated. The solution is being worked on today at Stash, and by the time it reaches the consumer in about a year, it will be a very simple way for people to work just like they work now, but the back end will be a fortress for data in motion. So we hear um, these stories about, um, say, your webcam, that I um, I've heard stories about people on their phone walk into their house, um, type into the keypad their um, security code, and somebody could be watching it, watching you do that through the um, camera in your phone, and therefore, bingo, your house is now penetrable. Are those stories true? Unfortunately, those stories really, really are true. And you may have seen maybe a couple of weeks ago, there was an interesting and kind of ironic story about Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook mm-hmm. in the news. And he actually uses a piece of masking tape or something to yeah. cover the camera on his computer. That's sort of. Yeah, so indeed, unfortunately, it is true. Um, The the best thing to do to protect yourself against that particular uh, uh, predicament is to always make sure that all of the software and operating systems on the computers that you use are up to date and all the patches have been uploaded to your system um, because... You know, one of the interesting ways that many, many cyber criminals get into particularly personal computers is via banner ads, via advertising. When people click on an ad, it releases a malware, and some of that malware is designed to utilize your camera to spy on what you're doing. So keep your software and your computer operating system up to date. Any updates that come through from your browsers, another way that uh, cyber criminals easily get into systems is when somebody doesn't keep their browser updated and keep a little piece of something over that camera. I do, all the time. Right. So so, so good advice is to walk around with a roll of duct tape in your handbag. (laughs) I guess that's so. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Jeez. So I'm a, I'm a medium-sized company and uh, I'm worried about protecting my um, information. So I call Stash. So what do I do now? How, about, how do I go about designing that security system that's going to protect my information or do you do all of that or how does that all work? We have found that the the best way to make people feel comfortable is to, first of all, explain to them the differences and what stash value brings to them. And then we do it all. Stash is data agnostic, so we protect any format of data. 
we protect it in any location. I think I mentioned earlier, it can be via private cloud, public cloud, or via servers on site that are completely separated from the cloud. When When you use Stash, if you have a legacy backup system, we actually save most companies anywhere between 30 and 80% of their total cost of ownership for data management annually because you're not backing up that valuable data all the time. Right. You have it someplace and you access it when you need it. The solution is available via SaaS, which is a the kind of system you use where you just go on the internet, type in your password and load your own stuff. Or it is available through our secure backup, which is different, although it's called backup. It is very different than any backup that you're using. It is simply a method to easily deliver our security function to you. Or it's available through something called an API. And that is something that is custom to every company. And it's usually used by companies that are middle-sized businesses all the way up to very large enterprises. Smaller companies generally don't use this kind of method, but an API will actually be built on a custom basis. It's not very expensive to do, doesn't take very long, and will gather the information on a regular basis that needs to be stored. So it's we really try to make it very, very simple. Um, the people who are at your disposal, many of them are the people who are operating the system every day. We're quite transparent. We don't promise anything more than what we actually can do. And if we find that our solution is not what you were looking for, for whatever reason, um, which is unlikely because there's nobody that can't yeah. use it, shouldn't be using this. But if that's so, we will absolutely help you to find the solution that is best for you. Um, we're really trying to bring a transparency to a market segment that is murky, that is really quite murky. So um, that is a differential that we hope that our customers appreciate, and they, they seem to. So what's the um, sort of minimal size company uh, that would use your services? Usually, we, we, the companies that are using us now are everywhere from about 50 employees all the way up to 10 million employees. Right. So, very small to very, very large. Um, 50 employees is usually the smallest company simply because under that there are um, solutions that um, they usually don't have enough data that they can't just store it even on disk or tape, and that is a less costly solution for a really, really small company. But once you get to about 50 employees, yep, you really ought to be thinking about this. So if I'm a 50-employee company, um, is, is this a major investment for me? Oh, gosh, no. Um, we are, we have tried to make Stash, and we have, I think we've succeeded. We are very, very competitive. Um, there are extremely expensive options out there. Uh, again, because it's a hot market and people are exploiting the opportunity sure. to make a lot of money in a short time. We want to be, we intend to be the most trusted source for secure data in the world. And we don't feel like we're going to be around for other than decades. So what we'd like to do is to 
charge customers appropriately, make them feel like they're getting a good value for what we provide, and to keep them for a really long time. That's our that's our strategy, and we're and we're sticking to it. Right. So so while you guys are continually developing new tools and um, um, using AI to um, keep your system smart, are the cyber criminals doing the same thing? So what does the future hold when it comes to tactics that are going to thwart cyber criminals? Because obviously they're pretty smart too and they've got they've probably got AI and whatever working for them as well. Well, I guess that I'd like to think that um, in the United States uh, and in other parts of the world, there are enough hackers that are doing bad things for good reasons. And what I mean by that is there's lots and lots of hackers who both go to the dark side but come from the dark and come into the light. And so I think that the powers that be on both sides are quite efficient and that it is, it is a matter of keeping ahead of the bad guys. And that has always been and always will be. And I feel very, very confident that the methods that we currently have and the methods that are coming down the pike, that we will absolutely be able to stay that one step ahead. Well, I hope so. So let me, let me just, I'm tossing around a minute. So you take a company's information and you make it like a jigsaw puzzle. You break it up into these hundreds of bits and you store all these bits independently so there's no direct connection between any of them so that um, when you need to access information, it, it connects back up again. Is that how it works, kind of? That is, a, that is very much how it works. And there's a couple of secret sauce things on the front end and the back end right. that, for instance, prove that you are you when you are both inserting and trying to take data out. They're very, very, they, they're, they're kind of fun to use, believe it or not, but they're very, very sophisticated on the back end. Right. And we don't store any information at Stash. We can't see what you're doing. We can't see your data. We don't know who you are. Um, that's quite deliberate because how can you feel safe? I know people have said to me, you know, why aren't you using open source? And to me, the answer is quite logical. Why would I use open source technology? This is a security company. Yep. Sure. You know, so, I understand that. So, yeah. So the thing is, is to inspire people to to trust, and trust is something that is gained over time. So we intend to um, behave in exactly the way people expect us to. Janine Darling, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Janine and Stash by going to stashdatapro.com. That's stashdatapro.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. What a great interview. I could have continued that interview for ages. I mean, it's, it's a, the most important subject of our time, I think. And uh, Janine is so easy to talk to. And she makes solutions so simple, something so complex, she makes it so simple. It was I thoroughly enjoyed that interview, and I'm going to have her back on shortly. There's so many more things we can discuss. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I've been speaking about the capability of computers and why they will replace humans in almost every endeavor over time. Here's another indication. I know if, how many of you have tried to solve a Rubik's Cube, but it's Pretty tricky feat, and there's 43 quintillion combinations of Rubik's Cube coloured squares. 43 quintillion. I'm not sure how many that is. It is a shitload, and um, it took just half a second for a robot to solve Rubik's Cube puzzle. That is that quick. Solved. And it broke the record held by an earlier version of the same machine. So if you have any doubts that um, a computer can do your job, I'd forget it about, about it if I were you. Now, at last, the social media players are doing something positive to uh, automate removal of fake news and address cyberbullying. I think they should have done something about this a long time ago, but better late than never, um, particularly after this last election. Facebook is working on new tools to stop the spread of misinformation on its network, and it's seeking to patent technology that can be used for that purpose. This month, Facebook lodged an application for systems and methods to identify inappropriate text and images so it can remove them from their network. Now, the primary purpose of the tool is to improve the detection of pornography, hate speech, and bullying. Now, this is pretty consistent with Facebook's own descriptions of how it currently handles objectionable content. But um, it also adds a layer of machine learning. Machine learning is where the computer gets smarter and smarter and smarter as it gets more information to make reporting bad posts more efficient and to help the system learn common markers of objectionable content over time. This move comes at a time when Facebook's under increasing public pressure to reduce the spread of propaganda through its network. But, you know, there are financial um, incentives for the company's caution. Facebook's a primary source of news is a scary fact, but Facebook's a primary source of news and information for nearly 50% of Americans, and therefore it's got to be seen to be neutral, and making editorial judgment calls risks, risks alienating users across an ideological spectrum. So even if um, Facebook did it, Effectively, bullying, hate speech and pornography are much easier to identify than false news stories. Bullying and hate speech typically involve a limited and evolving set of words. Pornography, that's pretty easy to pick. Um, That Today's machine vision systems can pick up immediately. 
So um, Instagram's rolling out new features in an effort to combat cyberbullying. Harassment's another problem on the internet with unwanted contract trolling, cyberbullying and even threats of rape and death being common. It sounds abhorrent, but 65% of kids between the ages of 8 and 14 have been involved in a cyberbullying incident on social media and 22% of adults have been bullied or threatened online or know someone who has been threatened or harassed. It's unbelievable. Facebook, Twitter and Google have all attempted to curb online harassment with new tools in 2016. YouTube rolled out a feature that automatically flags potentially abusive comments. Twitter introduced a quality filter tool which uses artificial intelligence to detect and hide threats, abusive language and offensive content from Twitter timelines. And... uh, Features that allow users to block out specific words, phrases, hashtags, Twitter handles and images. Now, on Monday, a coalition of companies including Facebook, Google, Twitter and Microsoft pledged to share a digital database to help stop the spread of terrorism propaganda. But more needs to be done. Cyberbullying is now a crime in New Zealand Punishing, punishable by jail time and a fine. Jail time and a fine, you beauty. And we need to follow suit. Now, just to finish off this segment, Elon Musk is the most admired leader in technology. In a survey of startup founders, 23% said they admired Elon Musk more than any other tech leader. Jeff Bezos from Amazon came in second with 10%, Zuckerberg third with six, and Apple co-founder Steve Jobs, who died more than five years ago, is at 5%. Now, um, this is the second year of the State of Startups survey, and Musk was also the most admired leader last year. Over the past year, Musk and his companies have hit huge milestones, ginormous, including the massively successful announcement of the Tesla Model 3 and the rollout of a plan to colonise Mars and Musk's Hyperloop has also seen real progress. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read and it'll keep you up to date. You can discuss it around the water cooler. It is great read and we get about 70 emails a day saying how fantastic it is. So go to the website, bobpritchard.com and check up on all the business news that's important. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. Next week, I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment. And I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. The alternative really sucks. I'm Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.